0: You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church Carlisle, a local church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the life of our church, visit us at sojourncarlisle.com. You know, it happened last week. During my family's vacation, as we were vacationing in Florida, we were reminiscing about the many years that we spent together as a family, and we start talking and, about different family members. There's one person that came up: my grandmother Mame, who is her name is Mary Coverson. But as a young child, I couldn't say. Mama Mary, so what came out was Mame, <laughs> and thereby she was known from that point forward. She was the one who raised me and who loved me and cared for me alongside my mom, and she, she is uh, one of my closest friends and closest companions. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2009. But the reality set in when we were talking about Mame and one of my children Said, "Hey, remember Grandma, Mommy?" I was like, "No, it's not Mommy. What are you talking about? It's Mama A. And In that moment, I realized that even with the short amount of time um, that they were got, able to know her, that identities and reputations go fast. It's easy to forget those whom we're not closely associated with, and as one who was being then deeply impacted by my grandmother Mame kind of pain my heart a little bit to realize that the way that she affected me will not necessarily be the way she'll be able to affect my children. Today's message is quite simple, and what I want to encourage us is to do this. I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning, morning not to forget. So the simple title of this message is Don't Forget. Don't forget. And we're going to look at this Passage of Scripture in three lights. We want to not forget what he's done. We don't want to forget how he did it. And lastly, we don't want to forget what this means for you. Look with me in verses 1 through 4 to be reminded of what he's done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered it to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. It's a good reminder for us from the very beginning of what the gospel is that the gospel is simply this. The gospel is the revelation from God to us. In other words, beloved, that means you can't know God unless God reveals himself to you. And we are reminded from the very very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul is not just trying to get them to understand something. He wants to remind them of someone. He says, I preached the gospel I preached to you. I love this because it reminds us that we are to preach what God has said. And then, if any preacher comes to you preaching another gospel other than what God has given and what God has said, oh, God have mercy on his soul. I love this because it says, I, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you. You can't see this in the English language, but the language here of the gospel I preached to you is the same word that Paul uses here for gospel is the same word that he uses here for preached. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel I gospeled to you. Love this because it shows us the power of the gospel. The gospel is so inclusive and so powerful that it can be its own subject and also its own verb. This is not a new message. They heard it, they believed in it, and now they are being saved by it. I love this because it reminds us that the gospel stabilizes us and it causes us to move forward. If you have been impacted by the gospel, if you are a believer in the gospel, then the gospel is a, not just a message to hear, it's a message to receive not just a message to proclaim, it's a message to believe. We see here also the effects of the gospel. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you receive, in which you now stand. Reminds us of the first effect of the gospel, that the gospel establishes and it keeps us. Amen. The gospel always produces a transformed life. And the gospel has the power to sustain anyone who has been been transformed by its message. In other words, the gospel is not something we embrace at the beginning of the Christian life. But it's a source of strength throughout the Christian life. Notice what Paul says here. He says, not only... I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand. Good message, reminder for us that the gospel is not only for evangelism, but it's also for discipleship. Believers and unbelievers alike submit to the gospel. Notice that they not only receive by faith the gospel, but now they take their stand on it. And, beloved, when you take your stand on something, it's not just something that you take your stand on. It's something that you are actually known by, something that you're identified by. In essence, you can't know the gospel. If we are standing on the gospel, you can't know the gospel. You can't know yourself without knowing the gospel and knowing what it means and what it entails because it so affects your life. Beloved, we can stand on the gospel because Jesus was slain. Good reminder for us that we're not saved by the things that we do. We're saved by what he's done on our behalf. This is the essence of what the gospel entails. It's not just about the good things you do or what you bring to the table. It's about what God has done for you. Through the sacrifice of his son, the sinless savior of the world, who died for human sin so that you may take your stand upon the truth and the reality of that bloody cross and the empty tomb. Notice with me that the gospel not only establishes and keeps us, verse 1, but look at verse 2. The gospel saves us. Verse 2 reads, and by which you are being saved. I love this aspect of being saved here because Paul in this aspect, he emphasizes the present aspect of salvation by using the present tense. In other words, what Paul is saying is that salvation is an ongoing process by which believers are conformed more and more to the image of Christ by putting to death the deeds of the flesh and making alive the deeds of the spirit. It is what Jesus called us to, that if anyone wants to come after him, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. It's a daily denial of self. It's a daily denial of taking up one's cross and following Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, the gospel by which you are being saved... I don't know if you've ever been rescued from a situation, but I know I have. Many of you know my story of being here and living here in Louisville before our time now at Soldier and Carlisle, and during that time, our daughter, we were taking her, Naomi, she was around two or three years old, and we were taking her to church on a Sunday for a Wednesday Bible study. And as we were taking her to church she had an episode that we couldn't explain where she just simply passed out. And by God's grace we were close enough on Lampton Street down on, the, uh, on Broadway Street where we were close enough to a hospital where we literally jumped in the car and sped as fast as we could to the emergency room. We took our baby girl who had passed out and wasn't awake, she wasn't conscious, and we took them to the ER and we allowed doctors to examine her and find out what was going on with our baby girl. Luckily, by God's grace, they were quickly able to find out what was wrong. They gave us some antibiotics and they sent us on our way and we were pleased until two weeks later, we got a bill. <laughs> and that bill was much more than any of us had ever seen before. Now I'm excited, of course, to have my daughter in my hands, but I'm disappointed to have in my other hand a bill that I simply can't afford. My wife and I were trying to figure out how we gonna, how will we rob Peter to pay Paul. If you know what that means, you know what that means make money work to pay this off. And all of a sudden, by God's grace, within two weeks, we got a letter out the blue from Children's Hospital that said, Mr. and Mrs. Fields, you have been nominated for some type of assistance, and we want to let you know that your bill has been paid in full. (laughs) Yes, amen. We didn't ask for it. We didn't look for it, we didn't deserve it, but someone found in their kindness of their heart to offer us to pay for a bill that we could not pay for ourselves. A bill that we knew we couldn't pay for ourselves and we were fretting, we were in tears, we were in anguish, and there was a letter sent by someone, I don't know who, but they sent a letter to our house saying our debt had been paid. In full, You see, Jesus and the offering and salvation that he offers is so much, it's much like that. You have a sin debt that you can't pay, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to make that sin debt go away. There's no good deeds. There's no good words. There's no good service that you can do to erase the debt that you have before a holy and righteous God. So instead of charging you, what God had done in his kindness is sent his son to an old rugged cross. And he nailed him there as the perfect sinless son of God for the forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your transgressions, for the redemption of your iniquities. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it's true. The Bible says quite simply that the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is? A wage is a payment that you receive for work that is done. And the Bible says that because we have the wages of sin, because we have offered God sin, he thereby gives us death. So that means every single person in this room at some point, will pass away. Our life is not for eternity. Our life is for a season. And because our life is for a season, and God desires to spend eternity with us, he has graciously given us a way for us to be with him in all of eternity. And that way is only through the, 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 the scarred body and the bloody cross that Jesus offers And the empty tomb that we celebrate on this resurrection day. I know some people who are tracking along with me, you may be thinking, well, if God is perfect, how could God, how could Jesus die? Pastor James, if the wages of sin is death, right? If the only way you can get death is if you have sinned, how can a perfect son of God die? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's not quite simple. I take that back. It's very complex. (laughs) But the answer is, is that Jesus, who is sinless, took upon your sins upon himself so that he might die. I love what Brother Moses said last week in our Good Friday service. He said that death didn't happen to Jesus. He said Jesus chose to die. And as a perfect, holy savior, there was no reason for Jesus to die. He could still be walking the earth right now if he so choose. Because remember, the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death. But in his kindness and in his grace, in his love and in his mercy, he took sin upon himself that was not his own. And he, and he put it and nailed it to a cross. And he put it In a borrowed tomb. But, y'all, on the third day, by God's grace and by God's mercy, because Jesus is the sinless son of God, death could not hold him. Death could not keep him. And when Jesus died, he took your sins and he took my sins and everyone who looks to Jesus for salvation, he took our sins and left them in the tomb, totally forgiven, totally exonerated, totally restored. The work that Jesus does is not a partial work. It's a complete work. It's a full work. It's a work that's worth us taking our stand upon it. Now, I'll sit up here and be the first person to admit I take my stand on a lot of different things that I shouldn't stand on. <laughs> One thing is that the Detroit Lions will be good at some point in human history. That probably will never happen, but I still take my stand on it. <laughs> never was. <laughs> I take my stand that Michael Jordan being the greatest athlete, basketball player to ever play the game. But listen, there are competing factors to that. LeBron becoming, scoring the most points in NBA history might compete with that. Bill Chamberlain's 100 points may compete with that. Bill Russell's 611 championships may compete with that. But listen, with Jesus, <laughs> there is no competition. You, can't comp- you cannot compete with the empty tomb. Because no human, no human ever been born of a woman can say that I was alive, I was dead, yet I live forevermore. There's no one who has that resume except our king, except King Jesus. So, beloved, Paul knows this reality. And he says, listen, you can take your stand upon this reality. <laughs> it's my grandfather used to say, you can put your weight on this. You can lean back and get comfortable. This is a reality that God has secured through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son. Notice verse 2 that not only the gospel establishes and keeps us, not only does the gospel save us, we also see that the gospel exposes us. Look at verse 2. It says, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. To believe in vain is to have a shallow, non-saving faith. Paul is saying that if your, our practical lives are not reflecting the truth of the gospel, which we, which we accepted, then we have believed in vain. This is to no practical result. It's null and void. So Paul exhorts the, the Corinthians to apply their orthodoxy, their right doctrine, so as to arrive at the right orthopraxy, which is the right doing. What Paul is trying to say is this. Our right doctrine, our right understanding of God has to align with our the way we live before God. We can't say that we know God and we worship God and we follow God if our lives do not coincide with that reality. James 1, 2 warns us that we should not just be hearers of the Word, right, but doers as well. Not just hearing a good gospel each week, not just hearing a good sermon, but learning how to apply the truth of God's Word to our lives so that we might honor and glorify Him Unfortunately, some of us believe as the demons believe. The demons believe the gospel. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but yet they rebel. Yet they withhold their praise. Yet they don't submit. True believers always hold fast to the gospel that is of Jesus Christ. Love this. Look at me in verses 3 and 4. We see a fourth aspect of the gospel, that the gospel is according to the Scriptures. Verse 3 reads this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Notice with this clause here that Christ died. The fact that Christ died has always been undeniable. No credible historian can deny the reality that Jesus was born and that Jesus died. It takes no faith to believe this irrefutable fact of history. But notice it doesn't stop there. It says that Christ died for our sins. This is a matter of faith, not directly evident in the evidence of Events of Christ's death and burial, but it reminds us both of our need for Jesus' atoning work, and not, as not only that not only God's Son endured divine judgment in our place, but He's the only one that could redeem us. It says that Christ died. It says that Christ died for our sins, but it also says this very, very important part that He died according to the Scriptures. Listen to me, the Bible has never been wrong a single day of its life or its existence. There are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament. There are 587 uh, prophecies in the New Testament. There are 1,817 total prophecies in all of the Bible. There are 8,352 verses in all of the Bible. The Bible has never been wrong in a single day. Christ's work fulfills God's saving purposes, implying that all of Scripture points us ultimately to the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. He was buried, and then he was raised in verse 4. This is the essence of the gospel. Burial confirms that he really died. And the appearance of the witnesses confirms his resurrection, that he really rose. <laughs> Thus we are called to, to build our lives not on myth or legend when we look to Jesus. We're called to look to the scriptures, we're called to look to the witnesses. we're called to look to the firm reality of who Jesus says He is. It is a fact that Jesus died for our sins. The proofs of that are through the scripture and actually through his burial, his actual burial. It is facts that Jesus rose from the dead. This is the proofs of that is found in the scriptures, but it's also found by eyewitnesses. Notices in verse five and seven of how Jesus did this miraculous work. It says, And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Listen, the best way to prove your resurrection is quite simple. The best way to prove your resurrection is to show up. <laughs> it's to be seen. It's to be known. It doesn't take faith to believe Jesus died. But to believe in the miraculous bodily resurrection of Jesus takes great faith. Faith. And this is why Jesus appeared repeatedly, not only to his closest disciples, but also to those who doubted him, also those who deserted him, also to those who denied denied him. So to whom did, did Jesus appear? Notice that Luke emphasizes the fact that the appearance of Jesus were real. They were not just momentary glimpses out of the corner of their eyes, but prolonged visits with their master and with their savior. You know, in the next seven weeks in our sermon series, we're going to actually look at more in depth the reality of Jesus' resurrection by looking at seven different people who were responded to Jesus' resurrection and how they responded. Beloved, if you are here today and you're struggling with the resurrection, maybe you're doubting the resurrection, the hope of the gospel is that Jesus draws near to you because Jesus drew near to those who doubted him back then. He appeared to all the apostles over a 40-day period, walking with them, talking with them, t- letting them touch him, eating with them. He appeared to all the apostles in 40 days. Now listen, Jesus is a better man than me. Because listen, if I died and resurrected, I might have to play some jokes with some people. I might have to go in Peter's room and make stuff start moving around and move his coffee in the morning or something like that. But notice this, who Jesus appears to. He goes and finds, though, who, the one who doubted him, Peter. He goes to the 12 who betrayed him, all except for John, and he eats with them. He goes to his brother James who doubted him, And finds comfort and solace with him. He even finds Paul on that dusty road to Damascus. On his very way to persecute the very Christians whom Jesus loves. And he encounters even his enemies as they go to destroy his church. Listen, your doubt and your fears will not keep you away from Jesus. Jesus does his best work in doubts and fears. He he, he loves to draw near to us in our weakness. He loves to come near in our misunderstanding to provide divine revelation. He loves to draw near to those who seek him and desire him. Church, I ask, my one wish for us this Easter Sunday is don't forget. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the fact that it is God's revelation to us. Don't forget that the gospel is not just something that you should believe, but it's something that you should receive. Something, that you should, something not, It's not just something that you should talk about, but you should allow it to transform you. Don't forget how God is saving you. He is saving you. Don't forget how the gospel exposes us. Don't forget how the gospel is confirmed according to the scriptures. And don't forget the empty tomb that Jesus has proven and provided for our justification, for our sanctification, and upon his second coming, our glorification. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. Thank you, God, that you have saved us from the penalty of sin. We thank you, God, that you are saving us even now from the power and presence of sin. And we thank you, God, that one day you will ultimately save us from the very presence of sin. God, you have us covered in your blood. Your son has done a complete work that that covers any and every failure that we can ever bring before your holy and righteous throne. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the good reminder today of what the gospel means and what it entails. God, help us to take our stand upon the gospel that we preach and proclaim. Help help us to realize that we can put our weight on the gospel, that we can allow our lives to be transformed by the gospel, that the gospel is a means for our eternal forgiveness of our sins before you, our God. Father, we praise you for Jesus and we ask, Lord, that he would be Continue to be glorified in this place. May he be high and lifted up in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor of Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a multi-ethnic church that is firmly rooted in the diverse community of South Louisville. We are seeking to equip our members for gospel engagement and practical, effective ministry to the poor, the marginalized, and disenfranchised here in the south end of Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit our website or email us at info at God bless.